it's interesting in a day where we have been, uh, you know, this current generation, we've been sort of conditioned to expect to always be, you know, good enough, smart enough, you know, uh, accepted, always valuable. Um, you know, there's, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Uh, and, and as it turns out, the Bible doesn't really teach that. There are dumb questions and you might end up being a total loser. Oh, Brett, that's horrible. Uh, well, uh, you know, have you ever heard of somebody being called a good for nothing? Boy, Brett, that's horrible. I can't even believe you'd say that. Well, what's interesting is Jesus is gonna give us here on the Sermon on the Mount, after giving us the, the uh, Beatitudes, which is just amazing in and of itself. Um, and by the way, he preached this sermon, right? In this place where we have our picture today. We're, we're making these Matthew pictures, all places where they, these events happened. And this is right where Jesus would have stood on the Mount of Beatitudes that's called there in, in Israel by the Sea of Galilee. But he gave this, the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of it's that, the Beatitudes. And then he started diving into some really heavy stuff of things that we should be, be careful about, things to watch out for, um, that which he expects of us. And he warns of something that might cause you or me to be something, well, what, what we might say, a good for nothing. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be a good for nothing. I'd like to make my life count somehow. But Jesus tells us what actually is part of that. And, and have you ever heard the phrase, are you worth your salt? Uh, well, that's kind of what Jesus is gonna tap into, talking about that. And where did that phrase come from? And what's that all about? Um, well, as it turns out, there's something that can make you kind of worthless. Um, people look for value uh, in their lives for so many different things, wealth or the clothes they wear. Uh, that never affects me, actually. Um, or the car you drive or the you know, degrees you might have earned, um, the house you live in, you know, your intellect. There's so many things that we as a culture measure our worth. Uh, by, but it's interesting, Jesus is gonna talk about something that may not even be on your radar, but it's something that he says, this is kind of a big deal. Um, and it has to do with the effectiveness of your faith as it relates to affecting or changing even the world that, uh, that we live in. How are we as Christians doing at affecting the world? Um, as it turns out, the statistics are telling us we're not doing so good. In fact, this Forbes article, Christians, it says are decreasing as more US adults not affiliated with any religion study shows. So um, this is in December of 2021, and I think it's even worse now, uh, according to some of the reports. But according to this study, 75% of Americans, they identified as Christians in 2011. But in 2021, 10 years later, the number shrunk to 63%. That's a 12% decrease in people who identify as Christian in the United States. Can you imagine that? That's an amazing drop. 10 years ago, uh, roughly 18% of Americans identified as atheist, agnostic, or you know, sort of nothing in particular as far as religion goes. That was 18%. But that number has now grown uh, the people that are atheists and agnostic or nothing in particular to 29% in 2021. That's an 11% increase in people who claim to be atheists or agnostic. Protestants experienced the largest decrease in America in 51% um, uh, of United States adults identified with this Protestant Christian denomination in 2011, 51%. 
Only 40 identify with Protestantism in 40% uh, in 2021. That's an 11% drop. So kind of on all the measurables, man, Christianity is sort of losing traction in America. We're losing our influence and our ability to make a difference and make a change in the world we live in. In a BNG article, P, uh, the Pew study, they were quoting the Pew study that offers some kind of surprising insights to American views on suffering, salvation, heaven, and hell. This article goes on and talks about how 33% of American adults, including 30% of Christian American adults, identify as Christians, they believe in reincarnation. Isn't that something that 30% that of so-called Christians believe in reincarnation? Now, if you're new to Christianity and you haven't really read much of the Bible, the reason I'm shocked by that, if you don't know, is because the Bible teaches nothing of reincarnation. That's not uh, biblical at all. Uh, and yet it's funny how uh, Christians, so-called, have been sort of duped into believing in re reincarnation. Based on this Pew finding, central teaching, biblical doctrine from the Bible, um, they believe it's in peril these days with 58% of Americans believing many religions uh, lead to eternal life in heaven. Did you hear what I just said? 58% of, of so-called Christians believe you, there are many paths to heaven, whether you're a Muslim or a Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or Baha'i or you know, whatever, New Ager. Uh, there's many paths. You know, that, they've embraced that whole uh, idea. Um, more surprising, however, than even that, about to sneeze, man, it's coming. You, and, and man, I've got a microphone right here. This is gonna be awesome. You should be quick on the trigger, Dallas, back there. So I'm like, oh, chew. That'd be bad news. <laughs> Front row, duck. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. Uh, but uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Um, one of the other shockers is that 44% of evangelical Christians believe, um, that's 44% of evangelical Christians believe that um, other um, religions, pardon me, I shouldn't say that. Uh, 40% believe other religions can lead to heaven, while only 19% of, of Christian uh, uh, believe only Christian alone. So 19% that you have to go through Jesus to get to heaven, which is shocking because even if you're sort of a rudimentary Bible student, you kind of acknowledge, well, Jesus sort of made it really clear when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father which is in heaven, but by me. The Bible also declares there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved than that of Jesus Christ. Like this is what the Bible teaches and yet a lot of Christians are like, ah, oh, there are many paths and we've become so open-minded as Christians, our brains are falling out. That's the problem. So this whole many paths to, to heaven and we've become very mushy-gushy and not very solid in our understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. Now, now where does this come from? It's interesting because as Christians, are we still speaking truth with power and authority in our culture? Or has the culture around us successfully shut you and me and us as Christians down? And I'm gonna say they've been very successful in that. Christians have cowered off into their little churches and we'll talk about things we believe within our walls, but man, you get back at work or school or your neighborhood and man, you better not say anything. You don't wanna offend people. You know, and, and, and do you remember in the, in the 90s and there in the, in the early 2000s, uh, they were cramming tolerance. Remember when tolerance was a word? Tolerance. Now, where did that word go? Why, why doesn't anyone talk about tolerance anymore? There's a couple reasons. Um, because the fact is they have come to a place, those same people purporting that they were tolerant and that Christians, you need to be tolerant. 
Um, and they were cramming that down our throats for decades. Um, but suddenly you don't hear that anymore. Why? Because they don't tolerate us and they are unwilling to tolerate Christian faith. And they've been that way from the very beginning, but it, it, it started to show, well, we probably shouldn't use the word tolerance anymore because even they don't believe in tolerating Christians. But what did the Christians do? Oh yeah, 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 we, we, we're tolerant. And, and they tried to preach sermons that looked very, very tolerant and diverse and inclusive. And Christians and pastors sort of caved and tried to soften their words so that they would be accepted uh, by the world. And we've lost our, our power in the truth. So, so it's interesting, nobody's using tolerance. By the way, when I, when I was pastoring back then, if you were an AC Cricker back in you know, the 90s or in the 2000s, um, the message then, just so you know, I was teaching that we as Christians should not be tolerant at all. Now, some of you are like, but that's horrible. Um, uh, can I just explain what I was saying though? Back then I'd say, Jesus didn't call us to be tolerant. He called us to be loving. Tolerance is insulting. How would you feel? You know what, I'm gonna tolerate you. Would you feel like, oh, I'm so happy by that. Isn't it funny the world was cramming that down our throats. You Christians need to be tolerant. And we're like, uh, we're not gonna be tolerant. We're gonna be loving. In fact, our Bible teaches us not only to love, but even be kind to those who are our enemies. Love those who persecute us and do all kinds of evil things against us. We're supposed to not tolerate. We're supposed to love people. And the church kind of forgot that's the message. And so we said, oh yeah, we don't wanna make waves and, and we'll be tolerant. And so we lost uh, our ability to speak truth with power. And the, the world has successfully, I think, really weakened our position as Christians and, and we bought into it. And so, you know, this whole thing, you know, America is a melting pot of different religions. No, America was founded on Christian principles. I refer back to our July 4th weekend that I taught about our history of our godly heritage of, of Athey uh, Creek. We talked about how we, we have a nation that is uh, started with godliness. But, but in our culture, we, through separation of church and state, which is a false uh, thing, it's not even in the Constitution, Bill of Rights, uh, not in our Declaration of Independence, it's just a letter. We talked about that, but that, those lines, separation of church and state, that was their way to say, stop talking about Jesus, stop having Bibles and Ten Commandments and anything biblical or godly, get it out. And we moused our ways, and oh, okay. And, and, and we were just all sitting by, not wanting to make waves, not wanting to be thought of as a, uh, bigot, homophobe, uh, radical, Jesus freak, whatever name they were calling you at the time. And so Christians have learned very well to cower in the corner and be silent. And in some ways, I'm worried that we've lost our effectiveness altogether. Um, it's interesting to me. Uh, and so suddenly Jesus brings up in this sermon something that I think maybe hits us right between the eyes and it's something we should maybe really think about. And it has to do with this idea of salt. Salt? Yes, um, uh, salt. Interesting, salt is um, an in interesting substance. It's something, did you know if salt just disappeared today and the cosmos just poof, gone, we would all die? We need salt, you and I need salt to live. And salt is an interesting substance in that you need the right amount of salt. Like, like if you have too much salt on something, it could kill you. If you have not enough salt, it may not make its effect. Um, the idea is the right amount of it, but Jesus is gonna bring up this idea of salt. Um, I was looking at the Salt Institute, I know, nerdy, but did you know the Salt Institute names 14,000 uses for salt? Did you know there's 14,000 uses for salt? I'm gonna go over all of them right now. Number one, 
Uh, did you know you can clean greasy pans with salt? Did you know that a pinch of salt in coffee can make it taste a little better if it's not great? Did you know that salt can extinguish a grease fire? Uh, did you know that salt removes feathers from chickens? Some of you Portlandia people, <laughs> yep, defeathering a chicken with salt. You can clean your tarnished silverware, you can clean your coffee pot. You, if you're chopping onions and your hands take on the smell of onions, if you rub salt on your hands, it cancels out the smell of the onions. That's kind of an interesting freebie I just gave you. You can uh, prevent mold, you can clean wicker furniture with salt. Uh, you, Brett, are you really gonna go, yep, just getting started. <laughs> you can clean blood stains, uh, relieve tired feet with Epsom salt soaking in water. You can remove your tattoos, uh, don't try that at home, by the way. That's a medical procedure that they do, but there is a procedure where they use salt. Um, you can treat varicose veins, drip-proof candles, invigorate your goldfish. Don't use too much. Um, I could just keep going. I mean, I mean, it's amazing all the uses of salt. Um, you say, okay, Brett, got it, salt. Jesus is gonna talk about salt. I love how Jesus uses illustrations that, that are, that are uh, time-proof. Like he uses as something talking about salt that back in Bible times it meant something to them, but it means the same thing to us. Like, isn't it amazing Jesus, knowing all things, had the insight to use an analogy that would actually apply and we'd understand because we're gonna talk about something that's kind of withstands time. Salt is the topic and Jesus is gonna use it. So uh, in Bible times, salt was used for three main things. They didn't use it to clean their wicker furniture. But they did use salt, number one, probably one of the main uses was to preserve food because they didn't have refrigerators and freezers. They would, they would put salt on their meat and their, the meat would be preserved through the use of salt. Uh, so preservative, but they would also use it for healing. They would use salt, uh, they would, um, like we do in some ways, they would use it for soaking, uh, you know, feet or whatever. Um, but, but another thing about this, uh, the healing, there was some misnomers in ancient times about salt. Um, have you ever heard about pouring salt on a wound? And that was to say, man, that's just making things really hurt. Um, did you know they used to do that? They believed that pouring salt on an open wound was actually really good. Now, whether it is or not today, I don't know, but it doesn't sound very pleasant. Um, interesting sideline for you history buffs. Did you know they found in certain times in history uh, in men's weapons of warfare, like in the handles of their, of their uh, swords or some of their, even their shields, they had these little compartments that held little packs of salt. And for years they were trying to remember, why do these guys have salt? Did they like a little salt on their meals between battles or whatever? Um, no, the salt in their weapons was there in case they got gashed with a blade, they would immediately pour salt on it uh, to sort of try to make it feel better. Uh, <laughs> disinfectant, whatever they were trying to do in those ancient times. But that's one of the reasons they believe they stored salt in some of their weapons and what have you. Here's a freebie for you. Did you know the average person consumes 30,091 30, pounds of salt. That's a lot of salt. That's 15 tons of salt. You're like, Brett, that's you. I eat kale. Um, <laughs> yeah, but did you know, like most of our food and a lot of the stuff we have, there's salt in just about everything that we have. And so when they, they say the average person that lives to 75 years old will, will consume 30,000 pounds of salt, that's a lot. 
But Jesus is gonna say the same thing about salt as it was in Bible times, that salt is a preservative, it's for healing, but it's also for flavoring. That's the third thing for ancient times. They literally would just use salt to flavor their food, just like we do. And so Jesus is gonna use that image to talk about something of great importance. Let's take a look. It's Matthew chapter five, verse 13. Let's read it. It says in Matthew five thirteen. it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Here's where Jesus just tells the truth. I love that Jesus isn't afraid to say things that are true, even if it is offensive. He says, you wanna be good for nothing, then be uh, salt, which is what you are, that has lost its savor or literally its flavor or effectiveness. Saltiness, if it loses its saltiness, it just, be, it just becomes like sand and it becomes worthless. It might as well be thrown down and trodden underfoot. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and he's saying thrown down, trodden underfoot. And he says, but you are the salt of the earth. So that's an interesting thing to say. If you and I, as we as Christians are called the salt of the earth by Jesus, what does that mean? It means that you and I should be flavoring the earth. As Christians, we should have a saltiness about us uh, that actually changes the world around us. Wouldn't you agree if you pour salt on a meal, it changes the meal. It changes the way it tastes. And, and the, here's Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, um, it's saltiness, then it's good for nothing. These are very pointed and important words, I believe. Jesus even ups the game in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, when he says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted or seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, now he ups the game here, he says, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. When the Bible says, if you have ears to hear, let, let him hear, it's saying, you need to listen up on this one. That's what that phrase means. So here's Jesus saying, listen up. If the salt has lost its flavor, how are things gonna be seasoned? And, and it's, it's not fit for the land. It's not even good enough to be trodden down on the land. It's not even good enough for a pile of manure. That's what Jesus says here. It's, it's, I mean, it's pretty radical statement here. Speaking of piles of manure, I grew up on a little farm and one of my jobs, me and my next door neighbor, Kirk Daly, we called it poop patrol because we had to go out and collect cow manure. And uh, we had a wheelbarrow and a pitchfork and we'd walk out in the field. He'd be in his field, which is like, you know, 10 acres over here. And I'd be in my field, 10 acres over there. And I'd see him over there and we'd wave and we'd be out there. And, and um, you know, I became kind of an expert on cow pies, uh, meadow muffins as we called them. Man, there was a time they were pitchforkable, but there were other times they weren't. You know, you had to kind of learn the consistency and when it was right to, you know, it's like, mm, that's not pitchfork ready. We'll save that one for next week. Um, and uh, you know, you start learning stuff when you're out there in a field as a kid. But we would get the wheelbarrow load and then we would haul all the manure and we'd put it all in a big pile in the back 40 of the, of the little farm because nobody wanted to smell a pile of manure. But you know what's funny? You think, oh, that's just a horrible pile of manure. But it's interesting how the pile of manure became sort of compost and it would start to decay and deteriorate. And in a year or two, uh, we'd come back and take that old manure and we'd put it in the wheelbarrow and we'd bring it into the garden and spread it out. Um, and that's kind of interesting because Jesus says, you know, the salt's not even good for a dunghill. Um, but you know, there's an old saying, Christians are like manure. Piled up, they start to stink. 
but spread out, they start to do a lot of good. And I, I wonder, did you know salt is kind of the same way? Um, salt is really bad if it's in a pile, wouldn't you agree? Like if you get a steak and you just take and put a whole pile of salt on it, uh, that's gonna not be a good steak. But spread out in the right amount, it can make a steak be delicious. A little kosher salt on a prime rib, kind of rubbed over before you put it on the trigger. Anybody hungry, uh, ready for that? And I am, I go for a little prime rib right now. But be that as it may, salt is good unless it's lost its savor so this is what Jesus is saying about salt. And the question you might ask because of what Jesus is saying is, are you worth your salt? That's, that's an interesting phrase. Where did that phrase come from? Did you know there were times in history they paid people, you know, kind of the barter thing, and they'd pay people with salt. And you'd get, you know, salt for a certain work that you performed or whatever. And they'd say, are you worth your salt? And it's kind of an interesting thing. Jesus is asking that question. Are you worth your salt? And uh, are you in that balance of good salt? Not too much, not too little, but you need to flavor the earth. And that's the question I would ask you on this Sunday morning. Are you one who actually adds a good flavor, savor, seasoning, as this Luke 14 scripture says? Are you one that seasons the world spiritually for Christ? Or have you lost your flavor? Have you been so freaked out about the world pressuring you to not let your faith be seen for you to not carry a Bible, to not talk about Jesus, to uh, cower in the corner. Have we been so conditioned to just, hey, it's my own faith, I'm not gonna push it on anybody else. Um, we have to ask ourselves, are, are we really, are we, are we good at this? It's interesting because like I said, too much salt can be ugly. And, and one of the things before we dive into kind of this saltiness of what we should be, let me talk about what we shouldn't be. Too much salt is ugliness. Some Christians try to be salty, but they, they overdo it. And some people claim to be Christians who aren't, like the Westboro Baptists. They claim to be Christians, but they're really not. And fortunately, you don't see those guys as much anymore, thank the Lord. But do you remember the Westboro Baptists? They were always on CNN. Here's what Christians believe. And they show these crazy, wacko cult members out picketing, saying, homosexuals are gonna go to hell. And they'd be out there and they'd say, see, this is what Christians believe. Do you guys remember that, the Westboro Baptists? 50 people from Kansas or Kentucky or somewhere back east, back in the mid Midwest. But, but all that to say, um, we, all, we always thought, oh, that's so unfortunate. These guys, they thought they were being salty, but it's like having a pile of salt. And it's not even true. Um, and so that's too much salt. We don't need to be assaulting people. Uh, repent or die, turn or burn, fly or fry. You know, some of you maybe have a propensity to be too salty. Um, and that's not what the Lord calls us to, do, to be. But, but at the same time, we don't wanna be too politically correct, timid, quiet, try to be woke like so many churches have tried to do. And we've lost our saltiness altogether. And, and finding that true balance is what we're looking for. And Jesus is talking about that. So back to this word salt, I'm gonna break it down, S-A-L-T, okay? And then this'll help us perhaps uh, knowing how to be salty Christians in the best sense. So S, the first one is this, be scriptural. If you're gonna be salty in this world, which you should be, and I should be too, what you do should be biblical. I told you about the Westboro Baptist saying, homosexuals are going to hell. Now here's a question for you. <laughs> Um, is that scripturally true sound to have a picket sign that says homosexuals are going to hell? Well, you know, here's the truth. You should have a sign that says everyone's going to hell. All of us are headed for hell. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches. So to be accurate, but to just single out homosexuals as the ones that are going to hell, that's actually inaccurate. 
That's not true. Uh, we're all headed for hell. Every single one of us, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. And the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And so the truth is everyone goes to hell, but good news, good news. We're, we're, we're people who are sinful and ugly and bad, but Jesus loved you so much that he came to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. I remember when the Westboro Baptist came to Newburgh and it made national news and a bunch of Athey Creekers, some of these young guys from college over, over there, they all, they all got together, like 20 or 30 of them. And they made these big, huge picketing signs and they wrote nonsensical things on the signs like, eat your vegetables. And you know, E equals MC squared and uh, vote yes. Uh, and uh, you know, and it's just, just funny stuff. And they went out with these signs, uh, with these you know, hate, gay hating people, you know, gays are going to hell. And they just kind of surrounded them with their huge signs and just made it kind of block all the signs that were just kind of ugly and horrible. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's pretty salty. That's a salty Christian kind of thing to do. Um, but but uh, or, or I couldn't you know believe it when I saw you know there was so-called you know pro-lifers with their sign saying, if you've had an abortion, you're going to hell. Is that biblically sound? Well, like the last one, um, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and we're all directed to hell. We're all going that way. But good news, Christ died for sinful people like you and like me. In fact, this is, this is the thing. You know, you can misrepresent and be too salty because you're not really being scriptural or biblical and it's not a good saltiness. What do you mean? Well, we gotta remember the gospel message. You know, like I already told you, Romans says we're all sinners, we all fall short, but Romans 5, 6 says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's what we should be saying, that man, all the people that have sinned and done sinful things, whether it's murder or anger or bitterness or wrath or uh, you know, adultery or abortion or homosexuality or whatever the list of sins is that we all have committed, we're all guilty of, good news. When we were without strength, not being able to pull ourselves up out of our miry sin, Jesus Christ in due time came and died for the ungodly. And then, and then it you know, goes on in, in uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death. And it's not just kicking the bucket, pushing up daisies. Death here, if you look at the context of what the Bible teaches, uh, is eternal death and hell. The wages of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, what a great truth this is. And then, um, I love it because Romans, the Romans road as it's called, keeps going in Romans 5.8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you love that while we are yet sinners part? Do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? While they were yet crucifying him on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While they were crucifying him, in the same way, while you were in your worst of sin, Jesus said, I'm gonna die for the sins of that person. That's the, 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 the savior that we have, Romans 5, 8. And then that scripture that I often quote because it's a, the gospel in a nutshell. How do you become a Christian? How do you be saved from your sins? Man, the Bible spells it out so easily. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This spells it out. 
Man, you and I, we're all sinners. We're all headed for hell and destruction. But if you repent of your sins, see, when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you're acknowledging that you're a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You're repenting. The word repentance means recognizing your sin before God, recognizing you need to do an about face and go the other direction. It does not mean that you're perfect. If you had to be perfect, if repentance meant from that day forward, you have to be perfect, how many of us would go to heaven? The answer is zip, zero. Because even if you become a Christian and you do an about face, say, man, I wanna go with the Lord, you're still gonna do sinful things. Even Paul the apostle is kind of our champion of the New Testament. He even said, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I do wanna do. I, Paul the apostle, am the chiefest of sinners. Like Paul said, I, I realize that in my flesh, there's no good thing. Like even Paul, who would make you and I, you know, we, we look like total beginners when it comes to Christianity. Paul was called the Pharisee of Pharisees. But even he admitted, man, it's a struggle. We struggle with sin. But Paul was also the one who wrote this. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. And it says, you will be saved. For with the, the, the heart, man believes to righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. Man, I love that. So the gospel is what we should be all about. To be a salty Christian, you gotta be scriptural. Um, some Christians wanna try to be salty in this world and make a difference by being just offensive or saying things that are purposefully uh, to raise eyebrows and stuff like that. Um, we should be not afraid of offending people, but we should say things that are scriptural. That's important. Well, Brett, what if I don't know scripture? You're the pastor, that's what we pay you for. You're the one who gives scripture. Uh, well, that's not exactly true. You and I are all called to be those who minister the gospel to people go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's a, a, a word given to all of us. And honestly, you know, if, if you just know John three sixteen, man, you're ready to roll. You graduated from, you know, the school of evangelism. If you know, you're right there with Billy Graham. If you know John three sixteen, uh, John three sixteen. I love, I remember watching Billy when I was a kid on our little 13 inch black and white TV with a hanger and a foil. Uh, if you're old enough, you remember those days. But I remember watching Billy and man, he, he said this verse like no other. And he'd say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And people would come by the droves and realize they didn't wanna perish in hell. And so they wanted that everlasting life through Jesus. And man, that, it's amazing. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the, the 1800s uh, preacher. He was called the Prince of Preachers in, in, uh, in the 1800s. Um, and he had a church there in London called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, giant, giant church. Thousands of people. By the time he was 16 years old, he was preaching and there were thousands of people coming. But he was known for being kind of a big, heavy set husky fellow, hero of mine. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, but he, he had this big booming voice and he would, he would you know, preach and people would come from miles around and he would just preach the gospel uh, powerfully. But there was a kind of a funny story. Uh, they didn't have PA systems back in those days. So he had to boom his voice out. But they, they, this, as the church got bigger and bigger, they built these big sounding boards at the back of behind him so that when he'd preach, the, the sound would sort of reflect out to the co huge congregation um, with no PA system. 
And one afternoon said, hey, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, come and check out your new, you know, let's go see this. And so he went into the sanctuary in the middle of the day and it was empty. And he just, he just quoted this verse, John three sixteen, and his voice boomed out into that sanctuary. And they heard the sounding board and it was like, the, the guys that were standing there like, man, that's, that's, you know, that's amazing. But after he finished quoting this verse, all of a sudden they could hear this funny little noise. Somebody was weeping up in the rafters. I guess one of the construction workers who was doing some finishing touches on the sounding board that they had built, he was just up there and he was a non-believer who was up there finishing, putting some nails in the, you know, and he was just up there doing some work and he heard Spurgeon speak this verse alone and the guy just started weeping and he accepted Jesus that day because he knew he needed everlasting life and that he was gonna perish otherwise. You know, I believe that the word of God is powerful. And if you know John 3, 16, you're, you're qualified to share the gospel. Oh, Brett, I might lose my job if I talk about Jesus and everlasting life and all that stuff. Well, that's what they've crammed down your throat and we've bought it. And, we, and because of that, how's it working out for us? Christianity is disappearing out of America, um, even though it's the one thing that can save people from hell. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of your mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. When you speak the word, the Bible says of itself, when you speak the word, it's not gonna go out and just end up being a waste of time. But when you share the word, even if it is John 3, 16, the Lord can make that powerful and it won't go out uh, void. That's important. Um, it's important when you share the gospel to make sure and um, follow up and, and ask this question. When was the last time you asked this question to somebody? Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior? When was the last time you asked that? Because man, I feel like sometimes we, we, we fail to close the deal. We say, you need to accept Jesus and you need to believe. Or some of you even write and say, you should come to church with me. That's great, come to church with me. Or, or even some of you, I mean, it's, a, it's great to hear the stories that I get back and our, our staff is always blessed. Like um, lately we've been getting a lot of this where somebody will call the church from somewhere in America or around the world and say, man, our relatives who live in Portland go to Athey and they sent us a text with a link to your sermon on Sunday and we started listening. And now we've been listening for a while online on YouTube and we accepted Christ just last Sunday. We just wanted you to know that. Like we get those messages all the time. And I love that, you know, but I gotta say, so the tools today are great that we have, you know, to be able to, um, you know, say, uh, just jump online and go through the Bible with our pastor. You know, that's, that's an easy tool. But I also need to caution you. Sometimes I think you're the one who might have to be the one to say to that person, do you wanna receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Because when they stand before the Lord someday, the Lord's not gonna say, so what did you think of Athey Creek and Pastor Brett? The Lord's not gonna say that because that doesn't matter at all. What matters is what did you do about Jesus Christ, my son, who died on the cross for your sins? And I think it's your job as a salty Christian is to, to put that question before them. And I'm not saying beat them over the head with the Bible uh, or be obnoxious, but, um, but it might be offensive. It might even, they might even say, yeah, whatever. Or what, when, you, when you give them that opportunity. But I feel like sometimes we fail because of fear or whatever reason, we fail to ask the question, um, are you ready to receive Jesus? Some people fail to ask that question. And I think people are lulled into a sense that I must be doing the right thing because I'm going to church. And I, 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 you know, I'm here at Athey Creek, but you still need to ask that question even of yourself perhaps. 
Have you accepted Jesus Christ, confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart like the Romans 10, 9 and 10 verse that I read? You know, one of the scariest verses in all the Bible comes from Jesus when he said in Matthew 7, 21, he said, not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? By the way, are you saved by your many wonderful works? No, you're saved by grace through faith. And by the way, that's what is the will of the Father, Jesus would tell us, is to be saved by his grace. But he says, you, you think you're gonna be saved by your wonderful works? In verse 23, and then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So these dudes would someday stand before God who prophesied in his name, did many wonderful works, even cast out devils and all this stuff, but they never really knew the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the jobs that a salty Christian has to be is to ask, will you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? That's something we need to do. Um, you know, uh, sharing the, the, the gospel can be offensive to some people especially when you start talking about things like blood. Jesus shed his blood for your sins. We Christians have Christianese and we've become really comfortable talking like that, but your non-believing friends will hear what? You're talking about blood? And what's the deal with you guys drinking blood uh, in your church? I heard about that. And you have to be careful with our language because we all know what that's about. We're not literally drinking someone's blood. We're actually remembering the innocent blood that Jesus shed on the cross for our, for our sins. But you say, Brett, people are kind of grossed out by that. I don't want to talk about that. Well, you need to share about the blood of innocent blood that was shed. Um, 1 John 1, 7 talks about it like this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's part of sharing with people saying, here's why Christians uh, you know, do communion. We remember the blood of Christ, which washes our sins away. So number one, be scriptural, S. You, thought you forgot about my acronym because I've been going on so long. Um, yeah, S, be scriptural, that's important. Number two, and the word salt, A, this might shock you, be aggressive. Brett, are you sure that should be up there? You're telling us to be, yep, aggressive. This is an important thing. What are we supposed to be, Brett? Jesus called us sheep. What are we, Lambo, running around assaulting people all the time? No, that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, being aggressive is not always a bad thing. There's a good aggressive and there's a bad aggressive. But I, I hope you understand, do you know we're in a spiritual battle? Have you ever thought of, you know, the Lord tells us over and over in his, in his word that we're in a battle. And if you're in a battle, there's gotta be a point in the battle where you're aggressive. Wouldn't you agree if you're into military tactics, there's probably somewhere along the way, you'll need to be a little bit tactically aggressive if you're in a battle. Um, in Matthew, in a couple of weeks, we'll see here in Matthew 11, talking about John the Baptist, it'll say, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. We as Christians have learned to be very quiet and mousy and you know, don't offend while the world is cramming down our children's throat, their ideology. In the public schools, cramming down their throats, gender identity and, and how you know, little boys really are little girls and all this stuff. And, and, and we've just sat by and you know, it's funny because um, you know, 15 years ago when I taught this scripture, I was, I was listening to my teaching like 15 years ago on this. And um, I remember mentioning someday, you know, 
this, this is funny. I remember saying someday, this was like 15 years ago, I said, they're gonna be having boys and girls bathrooms and locker rooms. And I was talking about what's coming, you know, and, it's be, and, and I said, unless we actually, you know, stand up for what is true, that's just gonna roll into, and now, well, that's a done deal, check. Mission accomplished for the other side. And they've been aggressively going after our children and their minds. And I fear that we've been a little less salty than we should have been. And so, so finally parents are saying, oh, we can't have our kids learning this stuff, but it might be a little too late. This last year, parents showed up at school board meetings all across the country because of this crazy curriculum. And, and, and so what happened? They were all silenced, all the parents, and they were called terrorists. Can you imagine that? Parents showing up at school board meetings saying, hey, we kind of don't like the curriculum that you're shoving down our kids' throats. And they all just said, quiet down, you terrorist. Like that's where we are today. Could it be that we've been a little silent, maybe a little too long, and we've lost all traction? Our saltiness has lost its savor. Um, so this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I think we need to be aggressive in, in a good way. Be bold in your faith. Don't, don't uh, just chill out. Uh, Proverbs 21, eight says this, the wicked flee when no man pursueth or is chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Righteous. Question, are lions aggressive? That's not a hard question. Um, <laughs> ten o'clockers. One guy's like, yeah. You get an A for today. Lions are aggressive. And the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And somewhere along the way, we thought, oh no, we need to be more like Jesus. But you forget that Jesus was bold. And he said things <laughs> that got him into all kinds of trouble. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But while we're supposed to be bold, S, be scriptural. A, be aggressive. L is maybe even more important. Here it is for the salt word, be loving. We've gotta be aggressive, but we also have to be loving and we've gotta ride that perfect balance which Jesus modeled perfectly for us. Man, I hope you understand there's a time to be aggressive and, and I believe the time is now, but the motive behind our aggression should be love. That's why we do what we do. We have a lot of law enforcement in our church. I love all the police officers we have at Athey Creek. Um, and I'm thankful for them, yes. Tons, tons of police. <laughs> we'll see if you're clapping when you get the speeding ticket after church. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. But no, I, I, I do love our, our police officers. But, but you know, it's funny, um, I know a lot of them and there's times where they have to be extremely aggressive. And you might even be shocked if you saw them in operation, if somebody had pulled a gun and they're in a situation of a shooter and all this stuff, there's, you're gonna see an aggressive uh, behavior. And it's funny how our world doesn't get, that's kind of what you have to do if somebody's wanting to shoot you dead. But it's like our world, we've just lost our marbles. Um, let's be ridiculous for a second. Um, uh, what, let's talk about aggressive, but also loving. Um, you know, I'm so thankful, speaking of law enforcement, we, I'm so thankful for uh, all our security team. We've got a highly trained, amazing security team at Atheon. And they, these guys work hard and we have several tiers of uh, people. And, and to make the top tier at Athey, you kind of have to, you know, really know what you're doing. And, and it's like amazing what these guys have done. But we've, we've planned and had whole training sessions on everything. But let's just say, for example, because this happens today in the world, an active shooter is outside, right outside here. That'd be horrible. 
But let's just say that happens. There's an active shooter. Now we have protocols in place and people trained and ready to roll. And, and even I have things to do. You know, I, if something was happening out there, they would put on my screen, let me know what's happening. And I could announce to you guys, that here's what we're doing in all real time. We've been training on all that stuff because who knows, you wanna be ready. So what if that happened? And I thought, oh, I don't wanna perturb the congregation. I don't wanna make waves. Uh, that might freak some people out. So I'm just not gonna say anything. <laughs> so there's an active shooter right here, and, um, but I'm not gonna say anything. And I'll say, God bless you, you're dismissed. <laughs> Would that be loving of Pastor Brett? Would that be the loving thing? No. No, uh, but would it be loving to say, okay, guys, you need to listen and you need to listen right now. No, you need to do exactly what I say. Like, like you'd say, that's being aggressive. But I would do it because I love the congregation. I would say, okay, what we need to do is get everybody quickly. We've got this situation. We're gonna go down the stairs. We're not gonna go out the, 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 the west entrance. We're gonna go out the east entrance. We're gonna go down the stairs. Do what I say. And then some of our leadership and staff, they're like, get over here and get over here. And they're starting to kind of bark out orders. Stop being so aggressive. No, it's because we love and care about people, we would actually be aggressive in a loving way. And it would not be loving to just say, ah, I just don't wanna make waves. I don't wanna bother people. Uh, that would be a bummer for you. You might be shot dead, that'd be a problem. But let's get even more crazy. So we got the shooter out the west entrance, but what happens if all of a sudden, a big rocket lands right over here at the east entrance, SpaceX. <laughs> and out come from the rocket comes Elon Musk. <laughs> and he's an athe cricker. And he's here. And you're like, wow, Elon Musk is here at church. And, and he pulls out his checkbook and just starts writing out million dollar checks and handing it to everybody that goes out the, you know, the, the, the east entrance. Uh, but I'd say, you know what? I don't want to make people worry about that. I, you know, because, you know, I don't want people to be greedy or think wrongly. We're not into money, whatever. So I just, would you, would you be kind of bummed that I didn't let you know that there's million dollar checks for him? And he's good for it. I'm just saying. He's got that. That'd be like chump change for him. Um, you'd probably say, no, that, that would be loving to let us know that there's a neat opportunity. You die out this door but you actually get a million dollars if you got this door. Now you're about that, that is just a ridiculous example. What is more ridiculous? Because an active shooter is nothing compared to eternal death and hell. And a and, and million dollars is nothing to the things the Bible says, eye has not seen nor ear has heard, or has never even entered in the imagination of men, the glorious things God has prepared for people when they get to heaven. So a million dollars is nothing, being shot is nothing, Meanwhile, there's people that are going to hell, not going to heaven, and we're like, eh, we just don't wanna make waves. We don't wanna make the neighbors think we're weird. We don't wanna put our religion on someone else. See, that's the problem. I think the reason we don't share with an aggressive, loving kind of heart is because we don't see the urgency, and I'm not even sure we believe in heaven and hell enough ourselves to tell people there's a way out of hell and there's a way to heaven, and that way is Jesus Christ. The most loving thing you can do is sometimes maybe be a little aggressive. I'm not arguing to pound your Bible over people. Be saved, accept Jesus, you know, turn or burn, you know, fly or fry. I'm not talking about that. 
Uh, by the way, speaking of heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, you know, Paul, he speaks kind of in the third person here. He says, and I knew such a man, moi, you know, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows how that he was caught up into paradise, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. John 14, verses two and three, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. The word mansion, dwelling place, which mansion's kind of an unfortunate translation because it's not a mansion, it's a place uh, for you that Jesus is preparing. The, uh, the idea is specifically for you. If you're not into mansions, probably won't be a mansion. I believe the Lord's gonna prepare a place for you that is gonna fit whatever your dream is. Like the Lord's gonna do that. He wants to make it a place for you. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus told us about heaven. Um, and if you believe in heaven and hell, people don't know the difference between door number one and door number two. Um, and if you're a little aggressive because you love them and you want them to know the truth, um, then I think that's actually loving because it's real and because it's true. By the way, Jesus modeled this kind of behavior with the rich young ruler. Um, Jesus knew the rich young ruler's problem. He was so wealthy, his wealth was sort of the block of him coming to follow Christ. And so when he said, what do I need to do? Jesus came there in uh, Matthew 19, 21 and 22. Jesus said unto him, if you'll be perfect or literally mature, um, Jesus said to him, if you'll be perfect, go and sell the, all that you have uh, and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus aggressively told him what he needed to do. That's truth. Um, speaking scripturally, biblically sound, aggressively saying, here's what you need to do. But when the guy rejected Jesus's words, Jesus didn't beat him over the head with the Bible. He didn't run after him. Wait, Mr. Rich, rich young ruler, I'm speaking the truth, follow Jesus. He didn't do that. He, he just let the guy go. So there's an aggressiveness covered in love, but there's also a time to let a person go. And we kind of end this last, you know, part of this L, be loving with this. By this, Jesus said, shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. So if you're aggressive without love, then the Bible says you've missed it altogether. So S, scriptural. A, aggressive. L, loving. And then lastly, T, be truthful. Even as Jesus was truthful, he was aggressive but he was truthful, he told the truth. Um, it's interesting um, there in uh, the truth, sometimes it's offensive. J John chapter eight, Jesus talked about the truth. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you will continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Make sure that what you're talking about is scriptural and don't be afraid to speak the truth. It's funny how people are afraid to say things that are obvious and true. Um, and we've become so uh, you know, afraid. Well, I, I wanna make sure and use the proper pronouns. I'm really afraid. Is it they, them, he, she, they, it, and whatever. Um, and you're freaked out. People are totally horrified. What about you? We need to speak truthful things. Um, we're not to live lie-filled lie lives and say things that are just not true. Uh, I know that's not a popular thing, but in the beginning, God created male and female. Male and female did he create them. Uh, ain't but two genders. Uh, I'm sorry if people don't wanna hear about that, but that's true, that's biblical. Jesus said that, God said that. Jesus said it when God created male and female, did he create them? 
and our world crams it down. No, 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 you gotta, it may not be male or female. What is a woman? Um, and, and our world has lost our minds. Again, open-mindedness leads to brains falling out. It's interesting, in Matthew, we don't have time to go over this fully, but this, this story kind of cracks me up. In Matthew 17, um, or 15, verse seven, I should say, um, Jesus starts kind of hammering the religious leaders, the, the, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he said, you hypocrites, uh, you know, and, and he calls them names and stuff. Well, the disciples say, psst, psst, Jesus, come over here. And they called Jesus over and say, um, Jesus. Well, let me read it to you. It says, um, then the disciples said, knowest thou the Pharisees were offended by what you said? It's like the disciples, like, um, those are the Pharisees and Jesus, you just blasted them. Um, do you know that they were offended? And then check out Jesus' answer. Again, this is all the people say, I just wanna be like Jesus and speak only kind, loving words all the time. Um, Jesus, when he was the disciple, they, they were offended. Jesus said, every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. <laughs> Let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Like Jesus was very, very pointed. And the disciples, I think you offended the Pharisees. And just like, yeah, they're gonna be uprooted and thrown out. And they're just blind leaders. And the blind leading the blind makes everybody fall in the ditch. That's why I'm saying these things. Like Jesus was not afraid to speak the truth. And it was loving. Why was it loving? It's not very loving to the Pharisees. You might make that argument, but Jesus was actually being loving to all the people those Pharisees were blinding and duping into the ditch. That was the most loving thing. So all that to say, we gotta speak the truth, even if it hurts. Um, now the disciples, they were the ones saying, I think you offended them. Well, the disciples learned eventually. After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, um, um, Jesus died and ascended into heaven. And then the Sanhedrin, the same people, the religious leaders came and told the disciples, stop saying the name of Jesus. Stop preaching about Jesus, they said. And these are the same guys that crucified Jesus. Well, the disciples just went around preaching more about Jesus. Um, and so there in Acts chapter five, I love this. They called him in again because they just kept preaching Jesus. So in verse 28 of Acts five, the Sanhedrin said, so, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine or teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood, Jesus, his blood upon us. Then Peter answered, the other, and the other apostles answered saying, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know what, we should have been saying this back when they said, you can't pray in school. Our kids should have said, we're gonna obey God rather than the school district. Um, when you're at an Intel and somebody tells you, sends you the inner group email saying, you know, uh, you need to call this him or her um, and, or else you're not part of the Intel culture. Did you ever think saying something is kind of a lie even though Intel's telling you to do it? Have you ever thought, I'm just not gonna do that. I'm, I'd rather obey God rather than, but Brad, I could lose my job. One thing I've learned over the years is you can't outgive God. When you're obedient to God, he covers everything else. Um, and we've seen where Athe Creekers have been bold and the Lord's blessed their socks off. But the more we cower and say, we're just not gonna be salty. I don't wanna be too salty. Well, I think the salt, if we're not careful, we're gonna lose our flavor altogether. And, and it seems that maybe we're already there. And so when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, I think that that means we need to, we need to rethink, are we being salty enough? Um, you gotta be scriptural, be aggressive, be loving, but also be truthful. 
And I would just ask this question for you to do this and ask yourself, am I salty enough? You know, you and I were labeled by this world for being bigots because we stand on biblical truths and sharing our beliefs have somehow become dangerous even in a so-called free country. Um, you know, all the while our religious freedoms are being chiseled away and that's been happening for a long time, slowly but surely. Our right to have our children participate or not participate in their sex ed um, so we can teach God views to our children about healthy sexual relationships, that's virtually gone now. They're taking it away from parents. The right to do business with whoever we want to do business with or not do business with, um, that's gone. Remember sweet cakes and others that said, well, we just, we're Christians, we don't wanna make a, a cake that celebrates something that we believe is sinful. And they got taken out of business and fined you know, tons of money. Um, those days, the, the church just kind of quietly watched all this stuff happen and we just sort of cowered in the corner. I believe we're living in a day where we really should be salt. Um, have you lost your saltiness? May the Lord give us wisdom. You know, um, Jesus is gonna add to the salt another thing. He's gonna say salt and what? Anybody? Light. And that's what we'll pick up on Wednesday night, salt and light. So we'll do that Wednesday. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with this. Lord, we, we see that you, you tell us in your word that your church and we as people should be salty. And uh, Lord, it's concerning if we've lost our saltiness. Lord, your word tells us that it's good. we become good for nothing. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been afraid, for whatever reason, fearful to speak true things. I pray, Lord, that your pulpits would once again be on fire by your Holy Spirit, where preachers would speak true things. Lord, forgive us for our wokeism and caving into this world's culture and, and uh, shying away from speaking things that are actually true. But also, not just the pulpits, but even the congregation. Lord, I pray that we'd be a Christian people who'd be loving and kind-hearted, but also just speaking the truth and preaching the gospel and talking about heaven and hell and the reality of sin. Lord, help us to be bold in our faith. Forgive us where we've caved and we've been silent. So Lord, just light a fire under all of us, Lord. I pray that we'd all be revived today as we consider our own position. I pray that the gospel message would be on the tip of all of our tongues, speaking it out to the world that needs you so badly. So we thank you, Lord, we bless you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.